Hey guys, we got a great podcast today with my coach Tom Bell. We were planning to catch up about the How to Skate paper from Niels Vanderpool. I was curious on some of his thoughts and we were just going to chop it up a little bit. And so I said, hey, let's just record a podcast. And we were catching up first on, I had the state TT, which ended up being my first race of the year, which is pretty funny to have the state championship time trial to kick things off and because i don't have a time trial bike it was actually a mercs race but we catch up on training for about the first 20 minutes and then we jump into the paper chat about that and if you haven't read the paper uh, check out some of the links i'm going to add here to how to skate also road to gold and then also one of tom's blogs so i get requests to have some of our coach to athlete chatter recorded and hopefully I can get Tom to be down with doing some more of these. So hopefully you enjoy this one, and there's definitely a lot to take away from Niels Vanderpool, and hopefully something from this conversation. Thanks for stopping by. See ya. TT was well, good. Congrats. I was yeah. going to say, just con- yeah, congrats on uh, a, a good result over the weekend. Yeah, it was good. I actually... I had looked through who was going to be there for 40 to 49 and I, I just didn't seem to look at other people. And one of my friends from the Cove right here rolled up was like, Hey man. And I was like, Oh, he's here. This guy, Chris, he's really fat. He's extremely fast. So I immediately like got out of the car. was like, Oh damn. Okay. And I knew another guy, the guy who came in second to me by like 15 seconds, I knew he was really fast. And I actually saw, I started a couple minutes before him. So I saw him on my way back and I was like, damn, he looks way more arrow than me. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be close. And um, yeah, new positions seem good. I'm actually very curious to hear your thoughts on that saddle height. And you had just made a comment of, you know, a lot of people some tend to put their saddle too high. What do you think that is? Or what? What's your experience with that? Like that made you make that comment. So I'm I'm definitely not going to uh, you know profess to be a bike fit expert or anything. No, like yeah, that. this so is I'm, just... I'm absolutely not. Um, yeah, yeah. But I just um, there's a I don't know if you've um, watched a YouTube channel YouTube channel by a guy called Francis Cade in the UK, um, and mm. he uh, has a good a good relationship with a a popular bike fitter here in the UK. Um, he runs like a a shop in London that does uh, bike fitting and he's quite well known for it. And he's talked fairly extensively about saddle, saddle height, you know, pretty much every cyclist that he sees is running the saddle too high. There's very few people that come in with it too low. Um, and I think what maybe cyclists kind of gravitate towards in terms of feeling what the, what the right height is, is actually that little bit too high. So, and as you know, whenever you make a, make a change to your position and actually bring the, even bring the saddle down like half a centimeter it you can feel that straight away and it mm-hmm. almost feels it feels way if i always i always think it feels way lower like than that you know in, in terms of how it feels on the bike than the actual distance you've put the seat post down mm-hmm. um and it obviously just t- takes a little bit of time to get used to but as far as i understand i think there's more i think there's more danger of having the saddle too high and if you do run the saddle too high there's more kind of issues that can cause than running it a little bit too low um having said that i think there's a there's a window you can operate in there um mm-hmm. where it is doesn't i don't think it has to be millimeter perfect but i think 
I just think it's probably, I think it's more likely it's going to be too high than too low. And I think being too high potentially causes more problems than being too low. Um, Which so that could was kind explain, of my thinking behind the comment. Yeah, could explain yeah. my hip flexor thing. And I think that, I don't know, I'm starting to think that, I mean, the drop on my Venge was very aggressive, mainly just because my saddle was so high. I mean, I would have to put a lot of spacers underneath there, which I did mm. for a long time. Like people always used to laugh at me. I'm like, whatever, dude, I'm winning races. Like, I don't really care. And then like a spacer went down and another spacer went down. And then it was like, you know, my drop was 19 centimeters. And I remember Robert Hessing posted about his, and I think mine was as aggressive or more aggressive than his. And I was like, mm, that's okay. He's like, this is what he does for his life. Like maybe mine is too aggressive. And so even when we put, I think it's a five millimeter spacer, it looks really big. I texted a couple of friends. I'm like, are we still friends? And they laughed. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, so I think that could have maybe been related to my back issue, just being stretched out too much or like just being in the drops was not comfortable. And now I reached out. I'm like, whoa, the drops are right there. This is probably how it should feel. And I look at other riders who are shorter than me and I'm like, man, that now I'm seeing like how they go crazy descending. Like I was descending in North Carolina before I came here and I was like, wow, I have so much more control of the bike right now. It's actually scary to think of the other setup, but all of this said arrow wise, you know, with the trend on TT bikes, having the riser bar up so much higher than people mm. used to just a couple years ago, that's kind of how the BMC is now. It's, my arms are much more 90 degrees than they were on the Venge, which was right. more frontal area if you're reaching too far. And, you know, it's like on the hoods is more arrow than in the drops. But if your bars are too low, you're really more like you're riding in the drops. And we can talk about this for hours, but I actually think it might be faster. So one of my friends texts me, he's like, hey, have you made it over 15 miles an hour with that spacer yet? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> But yeah, it was good. Just ripped at the first one. Um, second one, I got a little shook by the TT bikes. Like I could see a guy coming and I was like, oh, I'm like, just don't even pay attention to them. Like I'm not going to beat them. Um, rode over 400 and that one was 20. So the first one was 20K. Second one was 24 and a half K. Surprisingly, it felt longer because the way out mm. was all headwind. And so it was like 18 minutes out which just when you're in TT mode seems like so much longer than 16 minutes, you know, like you get to 10 minutes like oh, six more minutes. I'm there. And then turn around, you're flying back. Mm -hmm. 18 minutes was more of like a little bit of a slog. It's funny how those little micro changes can mess with you, but power wise rode well came in fourth. And then the last one, I wasn't even sure if I'd have any gas left, drank a Red Bull and a lot of lack to go. And actually there was only three of us. So, which is funny. Somebody said, yeah, people probably saw you sign up and didn't come. And I said, well, did they know I was on a road bike? <laughs> so got third. These two other guys were time trialists for sure. I tried to keep the, I was in the middle of them. I tried to keep the one guy at bay for as long as possible, but he caught me before the turnaround and uh, still a good ride. Still fun to go out and, you know, I was, I was curious how the last one would go to, so to be over 400 for that for 30, whatever minutes, I was really pleased with that and felt good. And, you know, I don't think any 
knock on wood, like ish, issues with my back or hip. And so I think the new bike will be good. Um, you didn't feel any um, hip or back issues sort of during any of the efforts then? No. Like if anything, it's more when I'm going like slow, like you're just tired. I think it might just be also fatigue. Like you're just hammering and it's hour four. Yeah. It's like, okay, body's a little banged up. Um, it's the, so this SMP, it naturally is just a little bit lower. And I, it's weird. I almost feel, I, I'm having a hard time. It's almost like you feel like you have more control of your legs when pushing. And I know this doesn't make sense. I'm having a hard time. I was like thinking how I would verbalize what the feeling is. It's just like more fluid or something. I honestly don't really they know. They tend to, they, they sort of hold you in position a lot more than other saddles, don't they? So rather than kind of like yeah. a, a flatter top saddle where you'd move around a bit more, do, do they tend to kind of, I've never used one, but it's amazing, heard, dude. You should, you I think position. you should try one, especially with your back, but it, cause a lot of people are like, Oh, it really helps the anatomy. And I was like, whatever. And then I wrote and I was like, wow, this is actually pretty awesome. I'm more referring to the lower height, but it mm. keeps you in position, but it actually, it's very easy to like nudge up on the like nose and smash that way. And I think I'm more over the pedal spindle on this bike than the Venge mm-hmm. and on previous bikes, which obviously was the goal. And funny enough, uh, Stephen Bassett, I keep calling them rat rally, which they're not, um, human powered health or the domestic protein from here. Yeah. We've been chatting and he's a big SMP fan. And we had talked about the saddle before I got it. And he was like, FYI, negative six is the new like go-to setup. And ironically enough, that's the least negative degree I can get it to on this bike. So like, that's perfect. Cause that's what I'm going to try it out at. It feels really good. Um, so all that to be being said, I'm excited to, go race and do some road races and yeah start to get like kind of what we said the other day it's like oh yeah it's only the end of march it feels like it's supposed to be june because like yeah exactly canceled and anyways yeah, it's uh it feels feels a lot for i don't know why but it feels a lot further into the year than it um than it actually is it's um sometimes you know seasons haven't even started really at this point you know um we've sort of barely into spring out spring really um mm-hmm. spring classics are still on kind of on the pro scene so it's early in the year it just doesn't feel like it i mean last year i didn't race until may so this year we had the one race canceled because of snow the first race i skipped because it was supposed to be 40 and rainy and just far and the other race my bike broke so here I am like, I missed three races and yeah, the spring classics are on. So I'm thinking like race, race, race. And then I talked to other people like, it's 20 degrees here. What are you talking about? Well, you haven't missed anything. I look back. I'm like, yeah, I guess I really haven't. Usually in, when I was in upstate New York, the first race was the second weekend of April tour of bat and kill. So I think just antsy after COVID and excited to go race with this new team and see those guys. So they crushed this past weekend. I was definitely had some FOMO. I was like, it was fun to win the TT, but they swept the podium at this road race. And um, yeah, I would have loved to have been there, but next one. Plenty more of a, plenty, you know, plenty, plenty more months, plenty more uh, event dates to come, I think. So mm-hmm. yeah. hundred percent. 
So, yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of all I've been thinking about training wise. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think, I think Sunday was a great, even though, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a target target event or anything, but, um, I think those are always good sort of real world tests and sort of specific sessions. And, uh, I know we've kind of spoke about, you know, your sensations in training actually feeling like the, the really sustained efforts of which you did three on Sunday were kind of, um, what mm-hmm. you maybe felt you were missing or not as familiar with, or were kind of, I don't know, maybe, maybe slightly struggling with in a way, because when you, when you do sort of very structured interval sessions, you get used to that on off pattern and you get used to expecting a recovery and to actually hold a, a, you know, high wattage and push it right to that kind of threshold critical power point where you're just about, you know, you're flirting with the idea of tipping over the edge um, and holding it right, right on that line. It is, it takes a bit of skill and and you can get out of practice with that. I think just, just training all the time. So mm-hmm. I think those kind of events are really, really good for that. And I, I think racing, any kind of racing or competitive event always tells you a bit more, um, you know, about your performance and where you're at right then and there more so than you can kind of get from training. I, f- I feel like being pushed by other people. So I suppose group rides, and uh, other TTs and uh, events like that are good to be pushed by other people just to get that extra percentage point. No out. doubt. There's no way I would have been able to go that hard because the first one, I think I averaged four high 420s. And so it was what, 26 minutes, which from the KOMs that I was going for in Blowing Rock were like, you know, seven minutes shorter than that. And I was pushing a few more watts last year, but that was like last summer. That's the other thing too. You can't, It's like, the other day I was getting a little frustrated. I'm like, man, I cannot hold 420 right now for like more than 10 minutes. I'm like, dude, it's March. It's okay. Like take a deep breath. And I was like comparing myself versus when I was there in June and like getting ready yeah, for nationals. Yeah. So it's so easy to just, you know, be in the trees too much and like overthinking, like what's wrong with me? It's like, you're, you're where you're supposed to be. And yeah, having that carrot there and also just getting the pacing down, you know, having three TTs, I think actually helped me in the first one. Cause like, okay, man, take the first 10 minutes, like should not feel hard at all. Like you're going fast and that's it. And, um, cause naturally, you know, it's like, I'm doing 450. I'm on fire today. It's like, eh, that's going to bite you in about five minutes. So it's one of those that pace pacing is certainly one of those things that even like you, you can see plenty of riders with good power outputs and, and high, um, you know, performance capacity and capabilities, but pacing is still one of those things that so many people just can't seem to get right. I don't know whether they understand it and then the kind of emotions of the day kind of get in the way and the plan goes out the window or they just don't really sort of have a plan or understand, understand the physiology and sort of what happens when you, go from zero watts on the start line to 700 for the first 30 seconds. Like <laughs> yeah. that's an enormous metabolic demand to go straight from nothing, you know, right up to that. And oh. they can just put themselves in a box, like in the first few minutes. And as you say, you don't, you don't tend to feel it. So if you're, if you're starting these efforts thinking 
I'm I'm holding back a little bit here. I could definitely go harder. You're probably doing it right because yeah. if you if you're starting to suffer too early on, it's only going to get worse. And if you've got no headroom to for it to get worse, like what are you going to do? There's only yeah. one only one thing you can do, which is slow down. Yeah, we talked, and even like we we talked about that when I was asking you some questions about the hill climb, taking your expertise to the athlete that was doing it last year, and just you know. I think it's easy in the emotions to forget that when you're going too hard and if you just, you know, go way too anaerobic, the result is 100% of the time you pedaling under threshold power. Like that's it period. There's no other way around it physiologically. Yeah. I think, I mean, I saw people blowing up almost before like the headwind mess with them. Um, I definitely saw some people like losing gas with three miles to go and I'm like, man, this is when I'm going 480, like just exactly. flying through the, it was, it feels good when the people are like, yo, when you pass the finish line, like slow down, you're about to enter like a mass group <laughs> yeah, of people. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm slowing down, but I'm ripping through this thing. So that felt good. The pacing was good. And I think really more using that event to, I think you can extrapolate like, okay, if I did 90 minutes at threshold, and this is actually almost a good segue to this guy's article that we're going to talk about. I'm doing 90 minutes at threshold. And the last one is, you know, I think I'd ridden for almost three hours, maybe, or two and a half hours before mm -hmm. that. Like that bodes well for amateur bike racing. Cause that's the type of moves that I make at the end and just being able yeah. to ride hard at the end of a race. So, uh, yeah, man, just pumped and, we can chat um, kind of where to go from here. Really, there's a couple crits in May. Um, I'm being patient, Panda, just really the road race. I didn't tell you. I forgot about this. Uh, last week, I want to say it's not in Florida again. It's in Virginia. So hilly. It, it could be too hilly that I'll be working for a teammate, or it could mm -hmm. be hilly that could be very good for a break, which would be primo. So we're all anxiously awaiting the course, but it'll be a very different race than last year. So that's awesome. And if it's like right. blowing rock to, terrain, yeah. it'll be sick. Look forward to seeing the course and uh, yeah, hearing what you think about it. Yeah. So we've got April, May, June, three months till that. And then most likely same course for Masters Nats. Yeah, it's kind of funny when there's two goals, but um, it also makes it less stressful. <laughs> yeah, it does, uh, and uh, I, I think it's I think it's nice to have more. It, I think it, you can just get too too hung up and too stressed about one single thing, you know, that makes or makes or breaks the season. So, just talk yeah, to a guy who had reached out to goals. me who's trying to get his cat one here in the U.S. because he wants to. He would have a spot at US Pro because of the team he's on and be able to do Joe Martin Pro. And I was like, listen, man, don't even worry about the points. If you forget, like if you, if you miss it, the worst that happens is guess what? Those races are most likely going to be here next year. Granted, I'm cautious in saying that because things like COVID happen, but like there are going to be big races for you to do. The best way for you to get it is stop stressing out about the upgrade points and just go race because he keeps missing the right break and he's like kicking himself and he starts talking, well, this, these are good segues to this paper. The mental side <laughs> of things, he's like, man, I've had some quiet drives home. Like, you get seventh, you don't get any upgrade points. 
you drive home five hours. And I was like, yeah, man, that's part of this. This is where I see athletes fold. They, you know, I would drive six hours in the UK. Like that's maybe across the country, drive yeah, six hours not, through race. So like that, that goes quite far in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> get eighth place, get no upgrade points, drive four hours to the next race, get 13th, get no upgrade points. You drive home Sunday night and I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, I was 27 and just scratching my head and your friends have just, you know, gone out had a great weekend. They're going to these parties and it's like, it can be easy to lose focus of the goal when you're getting your face kicked in a couple times. And that's part of learning though. So I think he's kind of going through that and the less stress you have towards these events, the better athletes do. It's just, that's almost part of the race. How do you calm yourself down and get out of your head? Um, I'll be excited. Yeah, where- and just, and just like almost being eternally optimistic and almost, almost sometimes just being like, uh, like willfully optimistic and, and just um, almost unrealistic and just being like, okay, you, you know, you have a period of being really disappointed by the result, but then you've got to fairly quickly turn that into motivation and say, okay, like this is a chance to be better at the next one. Um, Cause I think um, if you're just doing it for the, if you're just doing it for the result, results as well, it's, it's pretty demoralizing as you're sort of riding that improvement curve. Cause as you say, you just pretty much get beaten all the time and it's just a, a case of getting beaten less until you start seeing some results. And I think, I think a lot of people like quit kind of right at that, like apex as well. Like they get a long way through the process and almost get to the point right, you know, right before where they're about to break through and actually have a, a bit of an inflection point. And a lot of people just just don't quite ride it far enough um, to see that, which is quite disappointing. But uh, it's hard to see 16th as a win, but it is when you were 30th the four exactly. weeks before. You know, it's, and I just think, you know, maybe with road racing sometimes, the lack of big events. I mean, I was definitely shocked when I was big fish in Little Town. And then I would go to a race of 90 guys and get 70th. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really different. Like, who are all these people? <laughs> like, what's the, okay, here we go. And you just, yeah, you just got to keep going. So let's talk about this paper. And this is really why for people listening, um, I asked Tom if we could record a quick little podcast because I'm sure most cyclists have seen the how to skate PDF that Niels Vanderpool put out maybe a month ago or so. We're recording this on April 5th, 2022. Yeah. Um, So I messaged Tom who in my eyes, Tom is a very, you think about training a lot in a physiological, but also very practical way, which is one reason why I think we uh, get along well in some conversations. And I was curious, uh, Stephen Bassett actually sent this over and he's like, did you see this? And I was like, we're not riding enough. And we're both very pro volume and have seen positive effects in different athletes. And I've seen it in myself over the past five years of trying to ride more. But I just asked Tom, like, hey, what, have you read this thing? He's like, oh, yeah, I've written some notes down. Definitely have some thoughts. I said, well, let's just record a podcast and chat about it. So kind of want to just open it up to where, wherever you want to take this to start. Or maybe like what – who, how did you just see this on the internet and read it? And like what were your initial thoughts and takes from it? 
Yeah, well, I try and follow uh, a few kind of other athletes in other endurance sports. So I kind of was aware of Niels van der Poel and kind of his chances going into the Winter Olympics. Um, don't don't know a great deal about speed, you know, uh, speed skating and um, his his discipline and his events, but uh, followed him a little bit. And then, yes, I saw this kind of um, manifesto or what people are calling is not his manifesto because he I don't think he wants it to be seen as a, a manifesto of sorts. But um, it's it's his thoughts on training and obviously what he's um, the, the approach he took. And I think, um, A, it's always interesting to see the insights into someone who wins an Olympic gold um, or, you know, is, is that sort of caliber of athlete. But also just to kind of get, I suppose, like a a human kind of, um, you know, j- just to see them more as 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 humans, like everyone else, and uh, hear kind of his, you know, nuanced thoughts about a why he made some of the decisions he did in terms of his training approach, but also just the little mundane day to day struggles that that every athlete faces, whether they're like an amateur or or a potential, you know, Olymp- Olympic medalist. So that was i think that was the most interesting thing you you open it up and it's kind of like a 90 page document and it at first you're kind of a bit like overwhelmed but um there's really kind of 25 ish pages of him just kind of just talking almost off the top of his head about um about what he what he did and why he did it basically and it also looks as if this was written in like on the first computer or typewriter. Like he just typed yeah. it up and put like, well, at least the version I got the PDF is like aerial font and like, that's it. And it was very like, there's a quote to start it off a few like blank pages. I'm like, is this, did he really, is this a joke? Like, what yeah. is this? Um, I, you know, and I, I agree with you hundred percent. I enjoy about, you know, things that he talked about, like creating the environment to be an athlete and things about what he felt like he was missing or how is it to live a normal life when you're maybe a little obsessed with this sport and it becomes your identity, which I think is something that anyone, even down to the amateur level, you know, people that are trying to work a nine to five job and they love this sport. And maybe they also have a partner in life that doesn't understand their obsession with this and wanting to train and go to events. And it can be a lot to balance and juggle. And so I think having someone who's at the top of the sport, talk about that. Like, just like you said, it makes it, his humanity makes it feel okay to struggle with that a little bit. And, you know, the balance is sometimes things come toppling down. It's just like, you can't do everything. So to hear him have those discussions, it's not like he's just uh, cakewalking through training and everything's roses every day, which is what we can easily see when we're looking at, you know, pro athletes like, God, they have it so easy. All they're doing is training. It's like, well, they're, they're human. They're, there's the mental side of things that can really catch up with you. So that was, um, there were some good points in there. I think what was really interesting about his approach was he literally made it like a full-time job. So he said, I'm going to train hard mon- you know, Monday to Friday, and then I'm going to live like a normal person over the weekend so that I can, you know, <laughs> join in with, with everyone else. That's not, you know, not living this kind of weird life that I'm live- living as a professional athlete. So he, um, I think he really made his training count when he was doing it. And that was his, you know, his focus throughout the, throughout the typical working week. And then he just, 
you know, in, in, enjoyed himself more on the weekend. And like he said, um, sometimes, sometimes if he did something Sunday, that would sometimes mean, you know, Monday would be a little bit lighter. And, um, you know, he really prioritized um, those that Saturday and Sunday, you know, just doing kind of normal things. Um, would you, you ever know, have anyone who hasn't do... read it? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No props. <laughs> Would, would you ever have anybody do a five two? So for people that have not read this, you should look through it. It's 20 pages. It, you can get through it in less than half an hour if you want to go yeah. quickly, but um, five days on two days, full rest. what do you think about that? I thought it was interesting. I mean, I think he, um, he did such a high training load, especially, <laughs> I mean, yeah, insane, like insane hours <laughs> and not noodling about either. I mean, he started off, he said kind of around 200 Watts, which for someone of his weight was, you know, a, a fairly low Watts per kilo and all this kind of thing, but you know, hours and hours and hours of training every day um and not seven hour you know, bike rides 33 yeah. hour weeks like yeah and fairly quickly took that up to you know 250 watts um as his kind of base endurance pace uh endurance wattage um for his rides um i mean i don't think this is the thing i don't think people even even top other top professional athletes should take this document and see it as kind of a blueprint to how to win a, a gold medal. I think this is just, I think there's a lot of things rooted in his approach that just worked for him and he could mentally and physically get behind them. Um, there's, there's, you know, that, that kind of volume and that those kind of hours would break a lot of other professional athletes. And uh, it's not it's not necessarily that the more volume the better for someone else a lower volume approach maybe with a bit more of a mix of intensities throughout the year might have worked better for them it's just he's obviously found something that physically worked for him so that he could do lots of training day after day for months and months and months and part of that is just mentally getting behind it as well and figuring out the best kind of structure to the training that you enjoy the most because if you enjoy it you know the, the most enjoyable way of organizing things is going to be the one that you can do consistently over months and months. And I think that's what really counts is mm -hmm. training for long periods of time at a high quality without needing lots and lots of breaks, mm -hmm. whether that's from injury or from motivational dips or whatever. So, so if someone has, so he has my biggest I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on his different seasons that I'll very quickly touch on for someone that hasn't read this yet. So he had four phases where he was doing, he called aerobic threshold specific training, and then aerobic 2.0. The first one aerobic, he was focusing on hours. It's the biggest goal, 33 hour weeks. He even mentioned he was drinking alcohol during that period and so it's like, just get the time on the bike. He was doing some big seven hour bike rides. When he went to the threshold season, he lowered it to 25 hours during the week. And his sessions were either between 80 to 120 minutes of threshold. Now people have definitely, since we've worked together, I truly believe in the over-unders as a another really great tool for improving an athlete's FTP. This guy's riding sustained power. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. It, the, the big thing that he did not highlight much of, but does mention 
During this period, he claims he lost 25% of his anaerobic capacity. So like fair warning to people doing one thing over and over. I definitely have never agreed with. I will say I was really more of a constant power threshold type rider um, in training. And I think because I felt like similar to these TTs, I'm saying, Hey, it's kind of specific to how I race. I don't really believe that anymore. I think there's a place for it, but when you saw the threshold session or the phase, like, what do you, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, it's, I think it's great that he believed in his plan, but wow, that is the same thing over and over and over and over again. Yeah, well, I think he addresses the fact like he had a concern as well when he sort of laid this plan out, whether monotony would be, you know, a real hindrance and really actually be whether it would cause injury, whether it would be, again, motivationally difficult, whether it would be the most effective way to train. It seemed to it seemed to work for him, but and obviously he he got to an amazing level and did what he did. But it's hard to say whether maybe adding some different elements in there would have even put his performance slightly higher. It's really hard to say. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he uh, this season or, you know, it, what, what kind of most people would see as like a phase of a training cycle. So in kind of classic periodization, this was kind of his sort of uh, threat threshold phase. He called them a season, as you said, mm-hmm. um, there's, bit, there's a big question there as to whether he was truly at threshold because that's a that's a huge amount of um, time per session and over the course of a week that he's supposedly spending at his threshold. I, I, I seem to remember from the article that he was using four millimolar um, blood lactate as a marker of threshold where you know that's just a fixed a, a fixed level. It's um, it's by no means indicative of his true threshold um certainly that based on the volumes he was doing i'm sure he was below kind of critical power um you know just just by definition you you just wouldn't be able to really do that kind of volume at that level so i think is you you know someone like that producing that amount of wattage you know throughout those um throughout those constant uh, constant threshold uh, efforts will have been producing a hell of a lot of lactate um, you know, we've got to remember that when, when you, when you read four millimole, you, you're measuring, um, blood lactate accumulate, you, you're measuring lactate accumulation, not production. It's the net result of production and clearance or elimination. So his, um, his sort of aerobic season or phase will have built up an amazing ability for his slow twitch fibers to uptake you know, the lactate that's being produced. So he's producing a lot of lactate, but he's also got a really good ability to clear it. So uh, I'm sure that that four millimole was below his threshold in whatever way you want to kind of classify threshold, whether that was FTP, whether it was lactate threshold or critical power, uh, just to do that amount of work. So, uh, but, but still, that's not to take away the fact that he did insane volumes of that kind of intensity. I would say my guess would be that he was at like a low threshold because he gives the Watts 410 was his highest or 408 in Olympian at he's 80 kgs. I mean, his threshold is probably 460, so obviously something very high, 450 at least. So, yeah, I'm curious what the exact definition is because when I first saw the time at above 400, I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, okay, what? how big is this guy? 
he's an Olympian. Grimesy's not a cyclist, but it probably translates pretty well. Um, yeah, it's, it's just an incredible workload. And it is interesting. You know, he makes a comment later on when he's talking about his monotony of familiarity because he became familiar with these efforts. He didn't have stress going to bed thinking of the next mm-hmm. day's session, which I think is good. But that's the exact reason why I preach variety so that you're familiar with a lot of different things. So granted, I'm not training speed skaters. I'm training people to be, I want people to be in a bike race and be like, okay, this is like, this is going to be like that workout, or this is going to be like, you know, like I can do hard power and recover. I can get away from these guys and still ride. Like there's all these little pieces you're trying to help an athlete put together that are more than just riding at threshold. So I was, it was very interesting. Um, I'd be curious to see if he put out something that was just more varied and how his body would respond to that and how he'd feel. And it was definitely an interesting part of the paper. If you, I'll put a link in this, uh, people should definitely check it out. It's really has some, uh, some good points. And then he, you know, he talks a lot about, um, he gets specific three weeks before his world cup, which is, you know, very similar to cycling in terms of how we start preparing for events and not worrying too much about the first events, unless for some reason you have a funky schedule and like your, hopefully your first event is not your big event. Mm-hmm. Um, go get familiar with racing again, but I like he, you know, he talks about the super overreaching super compensation. And we've talked a lot about tapering. Um, he gave a couple examples of tapering and I guess the quick and dirty, he had one line where he said, you know, I trained up till three days before my event. I took two rest days, did something race specific and then raced, but then he lays out three weeks of training and that's not the exact, um, Mm. setup they use. And he does say, you've got to be nimble and sort of go a little bit by how you feel don't overdo the overreaching or that's where you're going to tank yourself. But I think it was really important, at least, you know, it's things that, uh, what is this? Not consistency bias. I'm a very big believer of like training until almost the week before and not a massive taper because then people tend to feel stale. And it was kind of nice to see him have a very similar approach of like three weeks out, you're doing a big volume and then, two weeks out, you're not doing this massive cutting of volume that you can tend to traditionally read people talking about, um, which we've, I'll link this other paper, the road to gold that you showed me. That was really interesting. Um, what do you kind of think about his taper or just comments around that type of like race prep that jumped out to you? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think there is a misconception about tapering being like a massive reduction in volume. And that paper that you talked about kind of started with the hypothesis of probably like a 60%, I I think it's something like 60% drop in, um, in volume was in theory optimal, but then that just wasn't what these, so the road to gold is a really interesting paper because everyone in the paper, every study subject in the paper has got an Olympic it's like, I think it's like Olympic gold or a world championship win, something like that. So it's yeah, like super legit el- athlete. It's yeah. It's like the most elite bunch you could possibly sort of find in a, in a scientific study. Um, and, and 
what was interesting, what's always inter interesting with these observational studies is just like, okay, here's the theory, but what do they actually do in real life? Mm -hmm. And you could just see that the, like the, the, the ones that seemed to be most successful, even in this elite group took the fewest kind of full days off during that last, you know, that last immediate period before the major competition, they trained, they did like a high intensity workout kind of within 48 hours before their, their event. Um, and I've just found this through experience with working with athletes and, and myself is just, I find you kind of want to almost be in the, your usual rhythm of training and usual rhythm of exercise, not throw the body into some kind of different schedule whilst at the same time, making sure that there's not really an excess of fatigue there to stop you having that strong performance. So you need to get the fatigue out of the way. And I think what that paper talks about and what's kind of, uh, what, what's been my experience is just to keep keep the intensity up, keep your usual intensity up. Sometimes in in a few sessions, maybe push that a little bit just to get uh, a very kind of acute, super compensatory response. Don't worry about kind of your big training volumes now. You know that's the kind of training that has effects kind of weeks and months down the line. So it doesn't it doesn't make sense to tire yourself out doing that for an event that's coming a few days away. Um, so reduction in reduction in volume via you know, reducing your low intensity duration, keep the intensity up, try and make the training as specific as you can for the, for the event you're training for. And, um, and certainly as you mentioned, and, and he mentions there, just certainly pay attention to your day to day, you know, uh, feelings. Cause if you've got an interval session down on the calendar, but you wake up feeling really sore and really tired and you're just not ready for it, it's really stupid to just, push on regardless because mm -hmm. that plan was something you put together you know a few days or a few weeks before it's always speculative and you have to you know hopefully that was the best case scenario but as we know think things happen sometimes you can't even understand why you're not feeling good that day everything in theory should mean that you're feeling really ready for that session but if you're not you just have to make that decision to say okay this if i'm not recovered now just you know i'm just going to dig myself more of a hole if i uh if I push mm -hmm. any further. So you need to make those hard calls to, to say, okay, I'm going to go easy today rather than what I originally planned. But yeah. So it's very individual from that perspective. Yeah. Because I definitely, I, I think I kept even for like masters nats, the volume stayed the same for me. Just, you know, instead of maybe two hard rides, it was mostly endurance and tempo. Um, I remember riding hard that Tuesday on my way out. I think I actually was going for like KOMs, just some like fart lick efforts to just get the brain, like not be thinking about it too much. Road endurance, took a day off, did some openers. I actually ended up riding longer than I wanted to the day before the race because we did a lap around the course. And I was like, well, you know what? Not like, I feel good. I'm not going hard. This is not going to overthink it. And I think that's the thing. Sometimes athletes have an amazing performance on a random Saturday and they don't take note of that. And then they have this big event. They're like, okay, I need to do this weird taper thing that I've never done before because that's what everybody talks about. It's like, well, do you? And that was, so road to gold. Um, I'll post that link. And yeah, it was just really good to hear him talk about being nimble with the plan, like training, like you're saying, what you planned two weeks ago might not be perfect today. And training peaks is not the Bible you can change what's on the schedule and yeah. um, just got to be nimble. It's, 
there's only so much output that we can get from data because we can only input we're inputting watts and heart rate really like not all the other stressors and things going on in life so it's important for everybody to keep that in mind yeah definitely what um what else you know i obviously liked huge focus on aerobic capacity in this paper um we kind of talked about maybe some tweaks we would make in the threshold area if we were you know looking to make a cycling plan because you definitely don't want to lose all your punch if you're really any discipline um any what else kind of stuck out to you in this you found interesting yeah so i think what he did is kind of a classic like he push the first, you know, that first lactate threshold, that first first threshold, whether you measure it by lactate or ventilatory or whatever, push that threshold as high as it could go, or, you know, spent as spent as much time as he could pushing that as high as it could go, try and get that as a as high a percentage as your threshold as you as second threshold as you possibly can. Push the second threshold, you know, with his um threshold phase or season that he did. And then, you know, push that to as uh, as as much up against the vo2 max as he possibly could so you're just pushing all of these thresholds you know fractional utilization up as high as possible and then once that kind of aerobic um strength was built to its maximum he just added the you know the specificity and the uh the high intensity abilities on top of that and as we know you know the more you focus on you know uh training above the critical power or you know this anaerobic training or whatever it's gonna it's gonna have an effect of pushing against to some extent the you know aerobic fitness to you know to to a degree so i think building that up to as high you know high as possible as we know you can't really have too much aerobic fitness um so build that up to as high uh, higher level as possible and then stack the stack the specificity and the um the high intensity on top of that and then compete and that's kind of what he did um Mm -hmm. i read quite a few things about you know talking about niels van der poel's training in the context of like polarized training or more of like a pyramidal kind of approach um and i think uh, i think some people misinterpreted kind of his preparation and said oh it wasn't polarized you know oh it wasn't it wasn't even pyramidal he focused you know a whole phase or a season on threshold work which if you understand polarized training in a certain way, you might think that's something to be avoided, but actually his, the majority of his training was still low intensity. He then put loads of work into building that second threshold up. And then he spent a long, a fairly long period of time in some really intense sessions working on his like, you know, higher, higher intensity abilities. So um, I don't think it was maybe the way it was laid out and the way it was so, so sort of monotonous or so sort of single focus in each phase was quite different as you rightly said to sort of um, other people's way of training where they're maybe working on a few things at once just just in different proportions but uh but yeah i think it was actually in the way he built up these capacities was actually quite by the book and um his periodization approach even though it seems a little bit different in a lot of ways it's sort of fairly classical how often, you know, this is actually kind of a time of year where I have a few people that are like, man, endurance just seems so easy. And I'm like, oh, you're getting the, and the, the, their follow-up question is maybe my FTP is higher. And that's where I'm like, well, LT1 is probably pushing up a little bit higher. Like the, that high endurance is kind of starting to feel like maybe middle endurance-ish. 
Uh, doesn't necessarily mean FTP is up there yet, but it's a great sign. I mean, that's always a good thing when the endurance riding, you can go three hours, four hours, whatever your level of ride, uh, riding and racing is. And it feels less exhausting. That's a great thing. Now it's time to do the next work and then worry about pushing your threshold up. And, you know, he, he made the comment of he could handle that and he could handle that anaerobic training because his aerobic capacity was so well-trained. And that is, you have athletes that will say, I can't go hard. So all I need to do is go hard. And you have an amazing blog about this. And it's, well, going hard over and over again doesn't make you going hard always that much better. And more of that is not better. And I'll actually, let me make a note to link to your anaerobic capacity blog, which you talk a lot about how more is not better, but also, I mean, this is an aerobic sport and you, you already said it, you can't have enough aerobic power. Um, it, it was, yeah, how he laid it out is really insightful, but it's not, it's not complicated. And that's what I loved about this. It was very much ride your bike, become aerobically efficient and increase that power and then get ready for your races and go race. And, uh, I don't know. There, there's, I don't think you can say enough for, uh, I don't want to say, I mean, I guess it's a simplistic approach, but it's just a well laid out, like nothing crazy. And it is not, it's not overly complicated. I think what he did really well is just like say the, there's only going to be a certain few things that are going to be really important uh are going to be the most effective you know the, there's going to be a few things that are going to move the needle the most and I'm going to focus on those and be very kind of bullish about put you know so he even basically removes strength training from the plan and mm-hmm. he says that um he had a slight niggling injury I think that might have been helped by doing some more strength training I think he recognizes the fact that he um he only kind of worked on it was very one dimensional in the training and um so so yeah he, it's um it, it's just it's his approach i think and i think it just it just ended up working for him but someone with a different schedule someone with different strengths and weaknesses it's it, i'm sure that's not particularly transferable mm-hmm. um so um but i think i think one of the things and he focused on the right i think he focused on a a select number of metrics as well and didn't didn't you know just get sort of paralysis you know analysis paralysis and just try and track like you know in cycling especially he did all this work on the bike pretty much and um as we know there's just so many metrics so many values you can track um and you can get kind of lost in the lost in the forest with that so he they were quite him and his coach were quite um like I say, bullish on just saying, we're not going to worry about this. We're not going to worry about that. We think these are the things that are going to make the um, disproportionate difference. So we're going to, we're going to, you know, track that and focus on this. And, um, and, and so it comes across as quite simplistic and not having too many moving parts, but if they're the, if they're the right things to focus on and they stop you being overwhelmed with other things, then, then that's the way to go. I mean, you should, I think in general, you should try, you should strive to make things as simple as you can and boil them down to the, to the fundamentals. It's really easy to make something simple, like really, really complex, but it's, it takes quite a lot of skill to make something complex seem really simple or just, uh, you know, simple for you to work with. So I think that's what he did really well. 
well said. I mean, there's no magic interval. There's no crazy one workout. There's no, like, it's just being consistent, having a plan that you can track. And yeah, that's the, it's a really good recipe. Um, I think the last thing that I liked that he talked about his relationship with his coach. And I think a good message this more is for the self-coached athletes in that, you know, his coach, a coach's job is to ease the burden of the athlete. And you never say like, Oh, are you not trying hard enough on these intervals? Like, you know, if somebody, you know, I had an athlete that we were doing some micro bursts and it was where they're going full gas recovery, full gas. So like the power is going to decline as the intervals go on. And they were like pretty steady across. And so I was like, maybe they misunderstood the directions and were like aiming for an arbitrary number. So I was like, Hey, nice and vet did some investigating. Like, Hey, how do you feel? You know, what was your RPE on this? We, and then just said, Hey, were you going full gas? And they just were like, it was a day that they shouldn't have done this workout. They're like, man, I just had a long day at work. I just wasn't like really feeling, I wasn't all the way in it. And you never say, so the, the message that I want to send to the self-coached athlete is like, People see a workout, they decide they've got to go do it, they underperform, then they're like, why am I not good? I suck at this. And they start beating themselves up. You know, have some uh, compassion towards yourself on these days and just investigate a little bit. Be, be an investor. If, if you don't have a coach doing it for you, or I've been trying to promote, like get a training buddy, train with a friend in terms of like, look each other's files over, make recommendations to each other. Mm. If you don't have the money for to pay somebody, get a buddy and then, you know, be that investigative reporter on their training. Hey, how are you feeling? What's going on? And do the same thing to yourself because it's, um, it's really easy to have to show some compassion or some good feelings towards someone else's training. But when we look at our own, we're like, why am I not performing? I got to do more. I'm screwing up. And it's, you can so easily beat yourself up. Um, I mean, I think it's, we all have bad days. It's, so, you know, we kind of started the conversation off with, I forget what effort I did. And I was like, man, I just do not have it right now. Like I cannot hold these Watts. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wasn't, it's not like, okay, you've been training the wrong things or you've lost all straight. Like something's just, or off. you've been slacking off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> And so I think it's good. Just have somebody that you can have conversations with because most cyclists are not married to or dating someone else that gives a crap about their power data. So you're not probably chatting about this at dinner, but just be able to talk to somebody about this, get a friend that kind of follows what you're doing and be like, okay. And you know, cause then you, once you talk about things, they just seem clear, you know, I think it forces you to see the big picture you're like, oh, actually, I was killing it a week and a half ago. Maybe I'm a little tired. Maybe this work stress is killing. Like, there's just so many things that go into it. And I thought that was really what you had brought up. He just had a lot of like soft skills that he talked about in this paper yeah. that are so important. And that's, you know, I get asked all the time, dude, why do you have a coach? You coach all these people. Why do you have a coach? I'm like, because I want somebody to talk to about this. Like, and I want somebody who knows what I'm doing. Sure, I can call, you know, one of my buddies and we can talk about it, but if they don't know what I've been doing, they don't know where I'm going and having someone that follows along. It just makes the narration of your training story that much clearer. And the clearer it is, the better insights you're going to get, the more you're going to learn about yourself, 
the farther you're going to be able to push yourself. Um, you can, I think more easily tell then when you're going to like maybe push a little too far and, uh, you know, I think we've said it a million times to each other. It's like, okay, maybe a little bit less, maybe just a little bit less this time. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. So I think that's a great, go ahead. I think pretty much every, I think pretty much every athlete that's certainly, certainly those that are working with a coach, but a, a lot of people that are athletes are athletes because they're like, type a personalities and they they push themselves there's you know you can sometimes be coaching people who are lacking motivation and that's a real problem because it can't come from a coach it has to come from Mm -hmm. within the athlete and you you can't want them to to succeed more than them so that's that's a problem Mm -hmm. but the in the vast majority of cases people are very motivated very sort of willing to push themselves and I, i think you're totally right that it's quite easy to give compassion or be compassionate towards someone else, but then just not reflect the same, the same sort of feeling back on yourself. And you're always, people can be really harsh with themselves Mm. and and start to think like, Oh, I'm slacking off or this is kind of a loser's mindset here. I'm giving up. But the more, the, the more you can be in touch with that, the more you start to know, okay, maybe there are a few times where you have to just like, you know, flick a switch in your head and say, okay, I was, I've, I'm like unfocused at the moment. I am actually feeling good today, but my mind's elsewhere. I actually need to pull it back in and do this session because I'm in a good place to do it. Mm-hmm. In in other cases though, you need to know when you're really not the reason, you know, you're not doing so well in this particular session is not because you're not pushing yourself and you're not, you know, disciplined enough or whatever. It's just, it's, you simply not, your body biochemically is not ready to do that. And you need to, he, I think Niels Vanderpol had a really, has a really sort of wise head on fairly young shoulders. And like you said, he, there was just these kind of soft skills that came through that sort of the whole, his whole approach and how considered he was about these little details, you know, both the macro and the micro stuff. And um, yeah, I think it was smart of him to, to like realize that he needed to be kind to himself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's going to be times where you need to be harsh. And he, he said he would ring his coach and sometimes his coach would say, no, nah, I think you need to knuckle down today and actually get it done. And then there was, there were times where he helped him, like you said, gain perspective and, uh, and realize that no, actually I need to be sensible here and not just, just beat myself up about the fact just today I'm not feeling good, even mm-hmm. though like, the last week, two weeks, one month, whatever have been amazing, you know? So it's, yeah, I had a conversation with a guy who had been like just some newbie PRs were just like crushing and just had like three days that just like things went wrong, like flatted twice, like the four hour ride became an hour and a half. And then like something else went wrong. It was just like a bad week. And he's like, uh, super frustrated. I'm like, man, Look at the past two weeks. Look how many times it says lifetime PR in your training peaks. Like, dude, you're crushing. You're just having an off week. Like, don't let this stop you at all. Um, yeah, it's it's it is just so hard to take a step back sometimes and see the big picture of our own training when we're in it trying to do those sessions. And it's also just so easy to like think to not recognize that every other athlete has these problems as well and has <laughs> yeah. a week where training doesn't go well you always like you line up on the start line and you think everyone around you is in peak condition right and you don't know that that you know that person next to you is like not slept for the last week because or mm-hmm. this person here has had some family issues that have meant that they're 
you know, their, tr- their, their numbers have been down or whatever. It's, you, you just, you, I think you think everything else is kind of, or everything everyone else does is kind of perfect. And anything, any deviation on your part from like perfection is putting you behind everyone else where, you, you know, you might, you might be well ahead of everyone else, even if you have had a bad week in the last, you know, month or so. It's, um, it's just easy to forget. And again, just loot. I think it's all about just like, just gaining perspective really and i think as you say like a coach or a training buddy or just someone else just really helps to pull you back into that a little Mm -hmm. bit dude this was awesome i don't want to take up your whole night any other any last (laughs) thoughts on uh the paper or anything kicking around your head that you want to spit out um i thought one thing that's kind of uh, popped into my head was how he and i suppose talking about this um whole kind of understanding if you're in the right position that day to do the session he they kind of built in i think like two two sort of blocks one at sort of 200 watts and one at sort of like a tempo effort and they they knew because they repeated that i mean this comes into the wider question if he did repeat kind of sessions you know day daily for months but i think an advantage of that is when you when you do the same session day after day week after week you get a very clear understanding of what your you know, you can see progression really easily. I think if you have too much variety, you're kind of guessing if the, if the, uh, you know, interval design and the, the resulting kind of heart rate and power profiles are always different every week. It can be difficult to, to gauge how you're progressing week to week. Um, we've talked about the sort of disadvantage of maximal effort testing and things like that, just because they, you know, can you do a maximal effort in training when it's not in a race? Is that a true true reflection of your maximal abilities um it's just a snapshot in time are you were you better the next day or the day before these kind of things so actually building in like the ability to monitor progression in training is a really good thing so having sessions repeat week after week is actually really helpful for that and then he built in kind of a a, the same kind of warm-up i think into every into every session so they could say okay i know what the power what heart rate i should be seeing for an, an rpe for this for this power and if i'm seeing a deviation one way or the other that's going to tell me yeah i've recovered really well or i've you know i'm not recovered and this probably isn't the right session i need to do some modification so i think doing something like that is a really easy way to to build in that sort of training readiness assessment mm-hmm. um if you get to know your own numbers a little bit um so you can make the right decision on the day, which, as we said, is quite important, especially as you get closer to the major competitions and major targets. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's interesting too the sometimes the feelings that we have are off. It's like, oh man, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be like so good today. And then you do a session, like, wow, I can't believe I completed that. So having something like that might be interesting, like another just tool in your tool belt because. Some days, like, man, just go try. And if you're struggling, the RPE is through the roof. Like, okay, yeah, you're not ready. Um, but yeah, it's there's just so many little nuances to all this to, to put it's it together. It's really nuanced. It's, it, uh, it is. Um, and I've certainly had that experience and heard of people having that experience where, you know, you do a warm-up before a race and you feel terrible. And, yeah. and, then, you, and then for some reason, you know, you perform really well. I don't know qu- quite what the, uh, what's going on there, but it's it's something I've heard time and again. So you're right. I think you need to, again, it even becomes more nuanced than just looking at that, at that warm up. particularly. I think you need to make an assessment there, whether it's right to try the session. And then, and then once you try the session, just see how things are going and if you need to adapt. 
man, we can go down a wormhole because I've been trying to get more athletes to actually warm up before races. I said, I have a, I've just been noticing a bunch of people. It's like their warm up is like 15 minutes of zone one and like one little blip. And I'm like, would you ever do that before intervals? They're like, definitely not. I'm like, okay, look at how your race started full gas. Do you feel yeah. like your body was ready for that? And like, oh, maybe I should do a warm up. But I was talking with my friend and did I get, I sometimes get monk like before a race. I'm like, are you guys going to go do like this dilly dally dawdling thing? Okay, I'm going to go get ready for this race that we just yeah. trained the past months, years for. Like, we won't go down that wormhole, but <laughs> yeah, we could talk <laughs> about that for hours, I think. <laughs> Man, it's always good chatting. Appreciate you doing this. And uh, I will cut it here.